Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features Alec Steinfeld. Hailing from Austin, Alec rose through the ranks at C3 Presents to becoming the director of digital before pivoting his career into artist management. Alec and I discuss how digital has evolved over the past 10 years, specifically building community around talent. Listen in as we take apart the many hats that Alec has worn throughout his career, expanding the digital division at C3 to founding his artist management company to product at Spotify. Here is yet another episode that you do not want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. I want to talk a little bit about your management career, and then we're going to jump into MBA and tech after that. On the management front, you were saying that when you were over at C3, you learned how you can really blow up an artist through digital. Yeah, right. So what, what did you learn when you were, I'd say, when you were a little bit more junior in your career? And how has that carried over into your career as an artist manager today? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's hard to say because I learned a lot. Part of it, I'm trying to see like what I can boil this down to. I guess the big high level takeaway is that like all marketing channels online can be hacked to a certain degree. <laughs> to a certain degree, they can or they cannot. They can up until a point. There's a lot of diminishing returns for like every new marketing channel online. Whereas like the people in first tend to get a lot of exposure, and then like the more that people dive into it, the less returns that you get. So, you know, early on, one of the things that I found was that like, you know, we were blowing up artists through like SoundCloud reposts, right? And then Hype Machine, right? Like this whole... We're talking 2013, 2014. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the same time, you know, I was learning like digital ads and, you know, how to like properly do email marketing and to consistently build out a fan base. So on. So let me structure my thoughts a little bit. I feel like this is like a, a <laughs> there's like a, there's a couple different angles here. I try to like put this into buckets. I guess one is that yeah, there's there's always like new opportunities out there and things are always changing in the digital landscape. And then you have to like be constantly learning what these new channels are, like TikTok and stuff, and just be open to what these things are. Because like you know the people that were early on TikTok are now doing really well because they get it and they were able to learn pretty quickly. The other is that you know you have to be able to kind of get your hands dirty and do the things that are like pretty boring, and then they can pay like a pretty high dividend. Like I learned pretty quickly how to do Facebook ads, and to this day that makes my clients better. Like we've sold out entire tours just because I've just been like a little bit better at Facebook ads that it's just this really funny thing that a lot of people in the music industry either find like too complicated or too boring to spend a little bit more time in there and tweaking and figuring it out. And you can find like a really high leverage skill set that was really beneficial. Right. And then the other is that right now, the big thing that I discovered mainly through working with a client like Grizz, like he was the one that really kind of gave me the masterclass of how to build like an online following is that you can't like fake it for a client. It has to be like super authentic in terms of having a social media following and content and everything kind of boils down to the creative, right? Like if you don't have really engaging content this day or engaging videos or engaging anything that you're putting out there, then 
it's a really hard, like steep battle to take on. Like, I mean, if I was like an artist or like a manager, like I would be really hesitant. I know this is like, again, kind of controversial, but this is the podcast. This is, this yeah. is why we have it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and, and like people lament, you know, labels for doing this too, but like, you know, I'd be really hesitant to take on a client that didn't have like some voice on social media in some way. So you, when you look for a client, you're looking for somebody who not necessarily is fully established, but you want someone who's who you could identify as doing something authentic with their audience. Correct. Yeah. And resonating, right? Whether it be tweeting or TikTok videos or Instagram stories or something, you know, part of it is it's also just like a good signal that the artist is like putting in the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I, if I find like artists are complaining about that stuff, then like as soul sucking as that stuff is and like I get it, like it's soul sucking for me too. Like I don't like spending well more time on social media than I have to, but if an artist is like really complaining about it, it's usually a sign that like they're not willing to like get their hands dirty and experiment and try stuff out, right? Yeah. Hundred percent, and they're just like not putting in the hours to do it, and like it's just a good signal for like other things that they'll have to do in the future, like press interviews and these other things that like they forget that like you know to a certain point by becoming a musician they've decided that being in music is their job, right? And so like parts of your career like you loved, and this happens with my job too. There's certain things that I love to do, and there's certain things I don't love to do. But like, I know it's part of the whole experience that I have to get my hands dirty and, and do this stuff, right? So, Absolutely. You know, you raised through the ranks at C3. You were a director of digital at a certain point. So did you take on your previous, I'll say, mentor or, or boss's job? Or was he still head of digital and you were still reporting to him? How did that work? So it was just like, it was kind of crazy. So what happened was when he hired me, he went on to become like a actually the head of the whole department so he was the head of digital then he became the general manager <laughs> oh wow i basically filled his job like right away you know because like a lot of these music companies are there's not that big and titles aren't really like a thing you know like initially i started as like what my role was like digital marketing coordinator and then as i got more promotions then i became like the sort of like director of digital because there's just no one else around and like i ended up hiring people and so like, oh, well, I guess I'm the, I'm like the boss of two people servicing 20 plus people. I guess I'm the director of digital. And right. <laughs> and they're just like, sure, you, that, you could take it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's like, I mean, I, I guess it's a lesson, I think, that like people shouldn't take titles too seriously, especially in the music industry. People in the music industry like really know this. I think people like listening to this podcast should like really take this to heart that like <laughs> don't look at people's titles in the music industry and think that like that really means anything. Like look at like what they've done and what their experience is and like what they're actually doing and like talk to them and figure out what's happening. Because like, I mean, especially I guess I can say this because I'm like moving into tech, but like people in tech mention this stuff all the time. And, and I've had conversations about this where there's just like a lot of title inflation in the music industry, but not pay inflation or like, you know, not everyone who is like at a label is like called a senior manager or something like that, or a director or senior VP. And like, like everyone gets that title, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like they have these corporate titles, but is there really a difference from a manager to a senior manager or like an associate director to a director to a senior director? Yeah. In many ways it's not, I mean, like, I don't have a lot of label experience, but this is what I hear. 
from like from conversations that I've had. I know you and I are just shitting on labels. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I, I, I mean, I'm the one who's like always saying that labels have a purpose. Like when people talk to me, they're like, oh, labels shouldn't exist anymore. And like, I'm always like, that's like the one sign that I feel like people haven't actually done a lot of their homework in the music industry. So they're very, very important labels. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they, a lot of people don't like them for many reasons, but they are extremely important. And they've been around a long time, around more than 100 years. So they must they must be doing something, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think when people say the labels aren't important, they have to ask, like, why are big artists still signing to them? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe have an answer to that question. And also, like, you know, why are they still dictating a lot of, like, what tech companies can and can't do? And why is Universal's valuation so crazy right now, right? So answer those three questions, and then we can maybe have a conversation about that. <laughs> why you why you still think the labels aren't important? Absolutely. So you know, just to kind of wrap up on digital, why don't you talk a little bit about your experience now branching out into artist management, working with your own clients, and how you got started with them on the digital front? How you were able to help grow community in an authentic way? So you're talking about with my current clients? Yeah. You know, one of the things that was I was excited to do you know, having my own management company is I could focus in the areas and learn in more of the real life music industry in a certain way, like, you know, routing tours and, you know, budgeting out like the financial models for like a, an artist's career and in overall strategy. So it was cool to kind of like be on that side. But I think like with my artists, one of the things that I think was always great about them, <laughs> I mean, to be totally honest, is that they're sort of naturals at it. Yeah, they're sort of naturals at building community. And part of it was that they were able to create online content that totally aligned with what their music is and what they sort of offered, right? That also was able to go viral. And that was part of like the fact that they're virtuoso keyboard players, but there was also a lot of musicality to it. So like, for instance, when I was working with Anomaly, like at the very beginning, I think it was like early 2018, he had a video that went viral online of a performance that we had booked for him in the UK, like playing just for a masterclass for this jazz program. And then this video clip became massive. And it was like, basically, it was a viral clip of his hit song called Valors. And it was like timed out perfectly right at the drop that focused on his like playing ability and the music itself. And it also became sort of like a meme because like the crowd was like kind of goofy. But because of that, like you never really know when these like these moments will happen. But the thing that really worked out when I think back on it is that he had a viral moment, but he also had depth at the time. Like I find that people sometimes will have viral moments and then there's they don't have anything for fans to dig into after that like they just have that one song that happens on tiktok right a lot exactly yeah it's a really good example you know you can try to get like a top funnel as much as you can but unless you have like that really clear story for fans to dive into like right after that viral moment happens like you're not going to be able to capitalize as much as you can so like anomaly was luckily had already released his we call it it's kind of like a full-length album length project but we called it an ep called metropole Mm -hmm. and when that song went viral people could dive into that project right and because of that we could then sell tickets because now we had enough music content for a show 
and people actually wanted to go see him because they were not just fans of that viral moment, but they also were fans of the actual project itself. So yeah, that was kind of like the key thing is that like lots of opportunities for viral moments because that aligned with the core brand of what they were offering and also made sure that we were putting out full length projects that had depth. So I wish you could say that I'm like a, a master <laughs> digital marketer or something like that, that was able to make it work. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like a lot of the stuff is kind of boring to kind of the details of it, you know, like, you know, Facebook ads and all these different things that we were able to do on top of that to like boost it, you know, but I think that's kind of what it is. We only really did the community stuff, you know, unfortunately, like, I guess like during the pandemic, like creating discord servers and Facebook pages. I think that's when a lot of people started to realize how important the community was, right? Give people a place to go, especially when everyone was trapped indoors. There was a big fight for content, right? It's like, you have content that you're going to release. How are you going to make it? But it's also, how am I going to make it so it resonates with people and it gets their attention when now there's so much content and everyone's indoors? Right. Well, I guess like to steal the tech line, which is like community is the product, right? Where it's like community is the value that you're offering to people mm-hmm. on top of just the music itself. And if you're really good at doing that, like you should totally lean into that. But it, creating a community is a full-time job and, and almost is like a different skill set altogether to do yeah. that, which is why I think some bands are really good at it, but some some artists aren't, you know, because a lot of people aren't. It's a really hard thing to do. There are ways to do it. I mean, I think like the way that we did it with Anomaly is that we had, you know, bi-weekly Twitch streams and then had a Discord. And then from there had like, you know, beat making contests and server community aspects and then we kind of leaned in on the mods to kind of add like additional interaction but yeah it's really tough because just because you have a community doesn't mean that it's going to keep going too like you have to actively manage it actively make it interesting actively add stuff it's kind of like you know if you're paying for like netflix or any sort of like subscription product like these people are sort of paying with their attention it's really tough. Yeah, because, you know, you and I were talking um, off the record a little bit about how community should be the end of the funnel. Everything that you're doing should be with building more community in mind, because that's really how you establish a good fan base, right? You really want to be connecting with your audience and everything that you're doing. Same with the podcast is everything that I do for this podcast is for the listeners. You know, if somebody approaches me and says, I've got a really great story but if I feel like it doesn't fully resonate with the podcast or with people that would be listening to it, I don't do it. It's all about giving back to that community and giving them a place that is theirs. Totally. I think that that makes total sense. Well, I guess the key there is like knowing who your community is. Right. Which it sounds like your artists do know that, right? It's something that naturally they understand it because I think that obviously they resonate with the music that they make and they've found a way to convey their art and more than just the music, they found a way to convey that through social platforms so that the people that do listen to their music or that do engage with their content will also like their music. Yeah. But I also think like, you know, I guess this is like the product manager had on me too. It's like, you could always know more, you know, you could always like, you might think, you know, your fans, but you really don't. Like, I feel like a lot of people in the music industry don't actually talk to the fans in a weird way. You know, they don't actually hear the dialogue. They don't know what they want. They don't really have like, because it's like, there's this sort of mystique around artist and fan that there's this weird kind of strange barrier where they don't actually ask the fans in real time what, like who they are, 
what interests them, like what did they like? And a lot of bands don't actually even really know that, which is kind of an odd situation for them to be in. Yeah, you, you know, I think as we enter this whole new age of the music industry and with having like Web 3.0, yeah, that's actually a very good point that you brought up because it's you want to be bridging any sort of gaps in data knowledge that you may have previously had. And being able to directly engage with your community because, you know, if community is the end of the funnel and then how do you continue to breathe life into that? It's really just you want to be connecting in real time. And that's how you really get to know your audience well. Um, I do want to shift gears just for a moment. You know, you, you are on the management side and, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about the tech side too. Just before we jump over to tech and PM and, you know, why you did your MBA, do your clients currently have agents? And how did you get them signed to an agency? Yeah, so they do. I mean, well, Rob currently does not, but you know that likely will change over the next year. Anomaly does. We've had agents for you know since really the beginning. I had booked Nico a show in Denver. It was his first show in the United States because he was in Canada. Then after that show, basically had got reached out by uh, Zach Bluestone and Jason Kupperman um, at Paradigm. Oh, yeah. I know them. Yeah. Great guys. And yeah, they're like, they emailed me and I knew, I guess I, I sort of tangentially knew Zach, but I knew Cup before that. And was, they're like, it was really funny. They're like, who's, who's booking this guy already? Like, what's going on? Like, what's the story behind this? And I, I don't know exactly how they discovered it, but I think it was, you know, just the fact that I was like at C3 and managing him and he was already playing shows and they were just like really interested in the project right away. Like got lunch with them in New York and talked about it and the vision for it and where it's going. And they were completely sold on it right away. So that was great. And I think at that time, like, I think it's important, and I think I know this just from being at C3, which I think a lot of people don't really have the luxury to know, which is that like having a good agent fit is just so important. It's like so essential to an artist's career. They really have to understand the project, and they really kind of have to have like tangential zones in terms of lanes that they can really help that artist grow, right? Right. They both really understood it. They had a lot of clients that were sort of in the same lane, you know, kept is the agent for Big Gigantic. And so really knew the sort of live electronic space, which is what Nico was doing too, and the floozies. And that's just like a really good fit, right? And there, were, I talked to some other agents and was like pitching them as well and was kind of feeling it out. But like, it's kind of a mix of both like fit and passion. Like, are they really passionate about the project and do they have a really good fit for it? And like, I wouldn't sign to like, or work with any agent that doesn't feel like it fits either, checks either box. Even if like an artist is like really looking for an agent, like it kind of has to work out that way. The fit's really essential because you run the risk of falling to the wayside. Correct. Yeah. You're falling the wayside or just like missed out opportunities or bad judgment. Bad judgment on the live side can hold your career back like three years. Wow. Yeah, it can, I don't know. Like, it can just be like really, really, really bad. <laughs> Live touring is like a capital intensive project. You don't want to go out too early. You don't want to go out too late. You want to play the right venues. You want to have access to the right venues. You want to get really good offers. Like, a bad touring experience can like really make your career feel. I don't know, like it's not going anywhere. Or I always think like touring is like where the rubber hits the road. 
right? It's where you really know when things are connecting or not. Like a lot of stuff online can feel like stuff is happening, but like the way you can tell your career is really taking off or like something is really happening is like if you're getting butts and seats or like, you know, right. you're selling tickets. Like that to me is like the core signal of like whether an artist's career is healthy or not, whether or not that's happening. So it's like, it's really important to have like a good team around that, that you can think about that and have a good strategy to develop like a long-term plan to build a career too. So yeah, I think that that's truer now more than ever, especially with people being able to blow up and get like 6 million streams on TikTok in a matter of a week. Correct. Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.